you. Thank you. You should give that hand to the wife that's followed me around all those years. Thank you. I made some points there, didn't I, preacher? Well, it's a joy to be here. Joy to see Brother Omley on the platform. And see people growing up, serving God, thrills my heart. It's just a blessing to be able to see the faithfulness of God's people. And that's what we need today. Just hanging in there, doing what God wants us to do, and do it till Jesus comes. I have a, a thought in my life now that the, as I'm in the, I don't know, sunset years or whatever, I want to finish well. You know, I, I heard a preacher say one time when he gets that last breath and I'm at the hospital and they got all those wires on me and he got that jug of sugar water given to my veins and whatever. He said, when I get ready to die, he said, I want to just grab that bottle, throw it against the wall and let it crash and go out in a big blast. And I don't know if I want to go that way, but I, I do want to finish well. I mean, that's something that uh, uh, it just it gets on your mind and, and you want to finish uh, as you started with the Lord and, and uh, praise God for that. Well, thank you for the invitation to be here. And we appreciate the pastor and his wife and their faithfulness, the improvements we see. And everything rises and falls on leadership. And uh, I just, uh, I'm just, I notice details in church when you come in and you, you see things are clean and neat and manicured and, and so forth. It's just, it's just a blessing. It's a testimony of what you think of your Lord. That's what you're representing. And thank God for that. I'm sorry about all that rock throwing and everything, you know. I, I probably got more whippings for rock throwing than anything else I ever did. I mean, you know, rocks are made to be thrown. I mean, you know, when you're, it's there, you know, it's handy, you know. And glass, you know, I, oh, that's, I go there, but anyway. Now, I don't know why they don't pick on something but a church, but that's just the devil, you know, trying to disrupt God's work. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to John chapter 14? I want to talk to you about uh, nickname. You ever have a nickname? Oh, boy. Some of you are chuckling because you're glad you forgot them. And every once in a while, you meet some old friend and say, Oh, yeah, I know you're, you're beanpole. That's what we called you, beanpole. That's well, better than being called four eyes. And Webster says that a nickname is a, another substitute, and it's often descriptive. Sometimes it's a compliment, and sometimes it's not a compliment. Sometimes we wish we could get away from those nicknames. If I would say the name of Judas, what would you think? You'd think of probably traitor. If I would say the name of Perhaps Peter, you'd say, oh, he denied the Lord. How about Jonah? Oh, disobedient. God told him to go one way and he went the other way. But if I said Jesus, I hope you'd say Savior. I want to look at the character of a man today that, in this character study, that we would realize he had made an impression on people and probably an impression that 
you would maybe not want. I'm talking about Thomas. Thomas has been given a nickname, and you know what he was called? Doubting Thomas. I wonder how many of us would be called doubting whatever your name is. I wonder if someone would say that that's a complimentary or whatever. I I heard about a fellow that, you know, he was being critical of his mate. And uh, someone said, before criticizing your mate's faults, you must remember it may have been those very defects which prevented her or him from getting a better mate than the one they married. <laughs> it's so easy to be critical today, isn't it? In country, town, or city, some people can be found who spend their whole life grumbling at everything around. Oh, yes, they always grumble. No matter what we say, for these are chronic grumblers, and they grumble night and day. They grumble in the city. They grumble on the farm. They grumble at their neighbors, thinking it's no harm. They grumble at their husbands. They grumble at their wives. They grumble at their children, but the grumbler never thrives. They grumble when it's raining. They grumble when it's dry. And if the crops are failing, they grumble and they sigh. They grumble at low prices and they grumble when they're high. They grumble all year round and they'll grumble till they die. Oh, they grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Grumble on Thursday, too. Grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Grumble the whole week through. You know, Thomas was a kind of guy that you would probably not want to mimic in some ways. His name is mentioned in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in Acts, one time each. Must not thought much of Thomas. But in John, he's mentioned eight times. I began to look at that and I began to think, now, why is that? Why is it that John would mention him eight times? And I begin to look at the character of John. And I begin to realize, you know, sometimes there's a difference in what your reputation is and what you are. And Thomas has a reputation. Even today, 2,000 years later, we're still calling him Doubting Thomas. But there are three words that I want to look at today, as we see here in John, that we could describe, I believe, Thomas as a result of it. You know this passage, it's been quoted many times, let not your heart be troubled in John 14, 1. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Verse 5, but Thomas, I'm surprised it wasn't Peter. Peter's always one that got his mouth and gear before his mind and his heart sometimes. But here's Thomas. 
Thomas saith to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And here's that beautiful verse in verse number 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now what's he saying? I am the way. I'm the way to God. You want to get to God, you've got to go through Christ. And only through Christ. But he said also, I am the way to God, and I am the truth. If you want to know about God, there's the truth. Look at Jesus. You'll see the truth. And then he said, I am the life. That's the life of God. Wouldn't you like to have a different life today? You can have. And it could be a life of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life of God. You can have that life. And Jesus would admonish them. They should know something about this. But I want you to notice something about John. Because he's going to give us an insight into Thomas that maybe we did not know before. What was John's nickname? He was called the Apostle of Love. Everywhere you look, John is going to talk about love. He writes in the New Testament more about love than any other of our writers. He wrote about the love for Christ. He wrote about Christ's love for the church. And he wrote about love for one another. We certainly need that today. But as I began to study this, I began to think, why, John, why did you mention him eight times and he only gets Matthew, Mark, and Luke one time and the book of Acts one time? Did John see something in Thomas that maybe others did not see? You know, we have a tendency, as the Bible admonishes us, God looks on the inside, and we look on the outside. And people sometimes are misunderstood or misinformed or misaligned because we're looking on the outside. My brother was pastoring in Kansas, and he decided one service, he had a fellow come in, and, and the fellow had on an old overcoat. And uh, he wasn't exactly clean. He didn't smell too good. And he sat down in the back of the church and he got up to speak. And when he got through speaking, he asked the gentleman to introduce himself. And the gentleman took his hat off and he took his coat off and he took another garment off. And it was one of the head deacons in the church. You see, we have a tendency, if we're not careful in this day of criticism and critical and critical uh, dark sayings and so forth that we look at the outward appearance but thank God he looks on the heart he sees a heart and John saw something in Thomas maybe that others did not see and it's because of his recording we'll learn about that I heard about a lady that was in between flights at an airport she had a little time and so she decided that she would pick her up a newspaper and uh, and she saw a little knickknacks, uh, candy and cookie stuff. And so she got her little package of cookies. She went and sat down and 
The place was crowded, but she sat down across the table from this guy, and she unfolded her newspaper. She began to read it, and while she was reading it, she heard this funny crackling noise, and she slightly looked around the edge of the newspaper, and this guy across from her was into her cookies. <laughs> he was eating her cookies. She didn't want like a scene, but she thought, well, that's something. That total stranger just helped himself to Mike. I can't believe that. And she began to just get more involved in reading the newspaper. She heard that noise again. She looked, and he, he's down to about the last cookie. And he looks up and sees her looking. And so he takes the cookie and he breaks it in half and he shoves half of it over to her side of the table. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. The audacity of a total stranger helping himself to her cookie. The call came for her flight to be leaving soon, so she grabbed her newspaper and gave him a dirty look and grabbed her suitcase, and he grabbed his briefcase and went the other direction. She got to the gate, and she got into her purse to get her pass, gate pass out, and there was her unopened package of cookies. <laughs> Honest mistake? Yeah. Somewhere in that terminal, there's a guy walking and saying, that stupid woman, I can't believe she's so crazy. She <laughs> ate my cookies. And she's thinking, oh, I hope I never get that guy again across the table from me. Honest mistake, yes. How many times when new people come into a church, it's so good to get your hand shaken, or at least an acknowledgement. At least, hello, how you doing? Glad to have you. Because that person may be the next head deacon in the church. May be the next pianist. If the Lord tarries, it may be the next pastor. Who knows? As long as it's a man, okay? But what I'm saying is, it's so easy to get kind of a mixed up thing when we, when we look at people and so forth. And I begin to look at this and I begin to learn some things about, as I looked in John and look at the 20th chapter and verse number 19. You know the story, I'm sure. They're going to have a church service and Jesus has risen from the grave. He's been crucified. He's died. He's buried. He's raised from the grave. Now they're going to have a church service. And the, the Bible says... In verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They're in a church service, but they have to lock the doors because Jesus has been crucified and they realize that their life might be terminal. And so they better just be secure. But all of a sudden, without opening a door, Jesus is standing in their midst. I'll bet that was an unusual service. Probably they would have left, but all the doors were locked. I don't know. <laughs> we want to learn something about. The Bible says Jesus is going to see them and He's going to breathe on them to receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but look at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. 
There's one thing about having church service. You don't want to miss one. If you miss a church service, something special happened and you missed out on it. That lady came to me this morning. She said, I wish my dad had been here this morning for Sunday school. Well, he missed out, you know. I'm glad you got the CD. They can get it and get it too. It's a good thing. But when the people who enjoy the blessings of God are faithful, they get in on all the blessings of God because they're there. They're present. I am I, appalled that we seem to be in a day and time when churches are shutting down services. The first one that went was what we call visitation or soul winning. How many people just don't do it anymore? And then the next one was a prayer reading. Man, we need prayer. What long until Sunday night? And now some people are just saying, well, I give God an hour a week. I think that's all he deserves. How sad. How sad. Thomas missed church. And they, of course, told him later, you should have been there, Thomas. The Lord was there. And he makes the boast. He said, well, I think you guys have a figment of the imagination. I don't know what you're on, but there's something that you did not register correctly because it couldn't be the Lord. When he shows up, if he ever shows up, I want to touch him, his scars. I want to put my hand, and he said he used the word thrust. It's interesting. The Bible tells us that in verse number 26, after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, said, Peace be unto you. Why does he say, Peace be unto you? Well, if you ever have a ghost appear, you'll need peace too. This is about to rattle the crowd. But he said, It's me, peace be unto you. But notice what he said, Then saith he to Thomas, he didn't talk to any of them except Thomas. He went right to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and what? Thrust it into my side. He uses the same word that Thomas used when Jesus was not there. And look what happens. He said, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. I think you ought to think about the fact that Thomas is a person that knows what it is to have love. When he asked Jesus, how do you know which way you're going that I can go with you? That was because Thomas loved the Lord. He wanted to be with the Lord. He didn't want to leave the Lord. He wanted to have that in his life that he would be able to be close to the Lord. And I believe that he had fallen so much in love with the Lord that he didn't want to ever be away from him. I believe Thomas loved the Lord dearly. But now we see that Thomas has gone through an experience and I would say he is a learner. He missed church, but he said, I'm not missing any more services. I'm going to be there. You know, I thank God for the learning process after you're saved. 
The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. How long have you been saved? You say, well, I've been saved a week, two weeks, three weeks, two years, 20 years. But there is a growing process, a learning process. And that's what Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. But he says, learn of me. And a learning process is something that all of us go through. We go from a babe to a child to a young man, to a father, and we may say to a white-haired, gray-haired old man. In our spiritual life, there is growth. And Thomas was one that grew. Yes, he made a mistake. Yes, he missed church. But he was willing to learn, and he was there, and probably faithful from then on, I would suppose. A learning process. Where are you in your learning curve in your spiritual life? And let's be careful that we don't put a, a kind of a, a stigma on the babes in Christ as we see them growing in grace and maybe they don't do exactly like they should be doing, but you and I did not do exactly like we should have done when we started either. And we have to give that same grace to them that somebody gave to us and said, come on, you need to get back in church. Come on, you need, to, you need to serve the Lord. Come on, you need to do... And somebody encouraged us along the way and then that one that we call Barnabas to say, okay, John Mark, you go with me and we'll let Paul and Silas go the other way, but I'm not going to give up on you. Thank God for those people. They're called an encourager. There are people that come alongside and you may have a situation that you, you're not really proud of and you're working and you're struggling, you're growing. But may all of us be learners. Be learners. I've been told that one of the things that you should do as you get older is that you should learn something new. So I went down to South Texas. We spent a Two winters ago down there, and I tell you what, I need to learn Spanish, that's for sure. <laughs> learn something new, but spiritually learn something new. I tried to challenge the seniors in our Bible classes to learn the, the books of the Bible so that you can find scriptures in the, in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first go on, get them all. But memorize them. You could do it. You say, well, I'm 60 years old. Yeah? Isn't it strange that people can quote sports statistics and can't quote the Bible? Or they can't find a scripture in the Bible. We got something upside down here. It's what we study and what we pay attention to and what we focus on and what's important to us. And when it becomes important to us, we'll learn it. I believe that Thomas was a learner. And I'm sure that there were those that wondered, you're a learner. Jesus said, don't be disbelieving, Thomas. Don't be a doubter. Don't be a pessimist. Don't be negative. Thomas, I believe, would be categorized as being that. Thomas had to learn, don't miss, you lose. You snooze, you lose. But with God, failure is not always final. Can I give you that again? Failure is not always final. Some of you sitting here this morning, you say, I know 
God's just through with me. Really? When he's through with you, he'll take you home if you belong to him. Until then, you've got a job to do. And it may, mean, may not be the job you'd choose, but he's got a job for you to do. He's got something he wants you to do. With God, failure is not always final. Abraham failed, didn't he? He sure did. He lied. Afraid of his wife being taken by the king. I think about David. Oh, we all know about David. David failed, yes. But God said he was a good repenter. Now Jonah, oh boy, he's a graphic example. Jonah, yeah. God said go one way, he went the other way. But I love that chapter 3, verse 2 of Jonah when it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. God ever said something to you the second time? Or the third time? Or the fourth time? Be a learner. Be a learner. The only trouble is some people, and including myself, I've had to learn some lessons several times, the same lesson. But I didn't learn it the first time. I remember my dad told me one time, he said, Now, son, I want to give you some help. You need to understand. You don't screw a copper fitting with a wrench. If you got a flex line and you're trying to put that on the carburetor, you don't use a wrench. You use a wrench, you're going to strip the threads. Hey, what does a, an old dad know? I mean, he's 40 years old. I'm 16. I know what I'm doing. I put this carburetor. I, I had a little problem, so I got my wrench. And sure enough, when I started, gas went everywhere. But I didn't learn the lesson by instruction. I learned it by experience. You see, we learn lessons one way or another, either by instruction or we learn it by experience. That's why the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you experience tasting the Lord, you'll know He's good because you experienced it. And getting saved is an experience. People say, well, I asked a man one day, I said, uh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I've been a Christian all my life. Whoa. You missed something there, sir. Becoming a Christian is an experience. Like getting married is an experience. And if somebody asks you if you're married, and you come back with like people do with their salvation experience, well, I, I, I hope so. You hope you're married? She'll hit you with something heavy. (laughs) What do you mean? Don't you remember we stood? Don't you remember the experience? Now, you may not remember the song they sung in Invitation when you got saved. You may not remember the exact day. But I'll guarantee you, you know there was a time in your life when you came to Christ and you had the experience of being born again. You trusted Christ as your Savior. And your life has never been the same since then. You know that because you had the experience of salvation. Thomas learned, but he learned by experience. The 11th chapter of John, though, really shows us, I think, the character of this man. Things have not gone well for Jesus. They have decided in chapter 10 and verse number 31 the Jews took up stones to stone Jesus 
Verse 39 says, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. They don't know what to do with Jesus. His crowds are so large. His miracles are so outstanding. The evidences of stacking up that he is God in the flesh is just blowing the minds of the religious leaders of that day and they've got to do away with Jesus and then he raises Lazarus from the dead and the Bible says they sought to put Lazarus to death. To death. Because he's a walking around. I mean, how would you like to go to somebody's funeral next week, meet him downtown? That's what was happening. Lazarus was, was a testimony. And they said, what are we going to do with this man? He raises people from the dead. He calls blind people to see. He calls the deaf to, to hear. He causes the, the dumb to speak. What are we going to do? He, he breaks up funerals. We've got to put him to death. So as we would say, there's a price on Jesus' head. They are out to do away with Jesus. In verse number 6 of chapter 11, after raising Lazarus, then after that he saith unto his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. And his disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? Lord, you don't want to go back there because he's going to, they wanted to stone you. They, they've tried to push you off a cliff. They want to do away with you. Don't go back there. And one disciple speaks up. Verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that way. Go that we may, what? Die with him. You see, Thomas only loved his Lord. He not only learned a lot from him, but he was loyal to his Lord. If ever there's a need today in this day of fickleness, wishy-washy, we need loyalty. Can I mention just a few things? We need to be loyal to our mate. It's so easy just to say, oh, well, don't inscribe that silver platter for that wedding present because you put their name on it. It might not work out, and they could use it for the next one. That's the attitude a lot of people have today. We need to be loyal to our mates. We need to be loyal to the manuscript, the Word of God. We are so blessed in this country to have more Bibles than any nation in the world. It's still the number one bestseller. And I thank God for the King James English Version. I can read the scriptures in my language and I can understand what God says to me because the manuscript is that which I want to be loyal to. Don't forsake it. I think we ought to be loyal to our members in our church. You know, there'd be a lot less gossip if we would just say, hey, that's my brother, sister in Christ. I'm going to let you talk about them. That's dirt, and I don't want to hear dirt about them. I love them, and they're a member of my church, and they're a member of my group, and, and I, just, I just don't want to hear it. You say, well, what if it's true? What if is it true? I heard about a lady. She was the gossiper of the church, and she just made it a point that she kind of looked over the morals of everybody, and 
So one day she saw uh, Frank's pickup was in front of the little beer joint they had in this little one-horse town. And so she let it be known that uh, Frank was in the beer joint. And she did her best to let all her little circle know about Frank was in the beer joint. I saw his truck in front of the beer joint. Well, Frank heard about it. He's one of those guys who didn't say much, but that night he went over and he parked his truck in front of her house and left it there all night. <laughs> Pretty good way to take care of a gossiper. Uh-huh. Let's be loyal. Let's be loyal to our preacher and his wife. Nothing blesses my heart better than for somebody to say, you're not going to talk about my preacher. You're not going to talk about his family. They got enough flack without you coming on with it. You say, do you know what's going on? I don't know anything. But I did pastor for 55 years, and I know the character of people. And we all have that tendency to carry the dirt. We need to dump it and don't pick it back up. And then I think we ought to be found loyal to our church. And you're here today because you're loyal to this church, I hope. You'll be here tonight because you're loyal to this church. You'll be here Wednesday night because you're loyal to this church. You know, if some people treated their mate like we treat God's house, there would be some kind of doubt about the loyalty of our love. If we only went home one hour a week, <laughs> that wouldn't last long, would it? Mm-mm. We say we love the Lord. Let's be loyal not only to the manuscript, our mate, but let's be loyal to the Master, Jesus Christ. Stand up and speak up for Him. What's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from being what you ought to be and say with Thomas that I may die with him? What's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do? I read a story. I can't get over it. little boy came in and he had his hand down in a vase and it was stuck on his hand. And his mother said, what in the world have you done? She said, well, I put my hand down in this vase And I can't get it off. She said, I've told you never to do that. So she went and got some liquid soap. She poured it around his hand. She pulled on it till he was crying because it was hurting so bad. She said, I can't get it off. He said, well, your your dad will be home in a little bit. We'll we'll let him take care. He can get it off. Directly, the dad came home and there met his distraught mother and the little boy crying and they told him the problem, and he said, well, I'll, I'll try it. So he tried the soap. He tried pulling, tugging. The little boy's still crying, and it hurt so bad. And finally, Dad said, well, okay. So he went out in the garage, and he got a hammer and had a little boy hold out that vase, and he began to tap on it. Pretty soon, the porcelain cracked, and then pretty soon, more cracks, and then all of a sudden, it just burst off of his hand. And his dad looked shocked, and he said, son, have you had your hand doubled up like that inside that vase? He said, well, yeah, Daddy. I, I didn't want to lose my quarter. He said, 
a three-generation vase in the family and you have us break it for a quarter? But what does it keep you and I from not turning loose that God might use us? That you might become a Christian. What are you hanging on to? What are you harboring in your hand and you're gripping it so tight that God says, I I, want to use you, but you won't let go. You won't turn loose. You won't turn loose. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I know you've spoken to hearts today. You spoke to my heart. I know there's times when I've hung on to things that, oh, they seem so important, but really they weren't important. That person that's standing here with us today that needs Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're letting their pride or they're letting what people think about them or their mate's thoughts or other opinions keep them from trusting Jesus as their Savior. Forgiving of their sins and knowing that they're going to heaven. Or that Christian that's hanging on to that pet thing that it's just seemed to buckle their Christian testimony and they're hanging on to it and this world has a value on it, but as far as eternity is concerned, it's no value to it. Father, may they be willing to turn it loose today. We think about Jesus stepping down from heaven, laying aside his royal robes, giving up all that heaven had to offer and come and die in our place, giving his life's blood that we might have the opportunity to know he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. I pray, Lord, that there be some today, Christians who would lead the way, willing to turn loose of that thing they've been hanging on to, give it up for service for you, so much more as you see the day approaching. Lord, have your will and way in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together, I'm going to ask this song leader to give us a song of invitation.